What board game should I get? What kind of board game do you want to play? Uh, a fun one. So I've, I've enjoyed... <laughs> None of them are fun. What the are board you know, board games? Board games? They're no, awesome. I'm joking. I'm joking. Oh, good. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> so I've, I've enjoyed Carcassonne. 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 That's how I pr- pronounce it. Is that wrong? I'm going to look it up now. It's after a town in Italy, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, that doesn't help my pronunciation. I always called it Carcassonne. I always call it Carcassonne. That sounds like, like someone ravioli. who's yeah, but and it sounds spaghetti. like someone who speaks English and is trying to sound European. That's to pronounce me. it like that. Exactly. Oh, you want to sound but I like just you're go a straight Australian uh, and just get Carcassonne. You know, I'm being pretentious, <laughs> like Tajay. <laughs> <laughs> so you liked Carcassonne? Yes, and uh, Settlers of. I haven't played that. Is that K- good? Catan. It's got to be Catan. Catan. <laughs> um, yes, I enjoyed that. Uh, is that good? Yeah. I'm going to get that one. Carcassonne. 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 I was closer. So you there's were. no Carcassonne or whatever you say. Yeah, there's no, there's no, <laughs> there's no lift. At the I end. like Carcassonne like I like my macaroni. Do you have the dragon expansion pack? Oh, I do not. I've got uh, builders best one. and traders. You just need dragons. And a river. Mine came with a river. Yeah. You don't actually need a board game. You just need dragons. Um, the no, dragon no, but, is awesome. So, all seriousness, the problem I have with Carcassonne is um, I like to play with my wife, and I'd previously thought that this conversation could be interesting to include as, like, before dark, after dark, but now that I'm talking about my wife, we can't include it. <laughs> <laughs> She's very competitive. Okay. Um, and the best games are ones where you don't actually – you can't foil – the best games that I enjoy playing with my wife the most are where games where you can't foil one another. Pandemic. Play Pandemic. Pandemic is co- cooperative. Oh, really? Yes. And you are no, trying no, to I save the world from a disease outbreak. It's very good. But I think she'd still like to beat me. That's the problem I have with Pandemic is that I actually want to kill all my fellow players, not help them survive. Because mm. I'm a bit creepy like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I want, well, that's, that's fun. He's winning, right? Yes. But, but And that's fine. I can cope with competition and where it's about winning. But it's just the mechanism of play that results in the winning. It's like if you're – it's kind of like the best game to play with would be one where you're each kind of uh, testing yourself, your own abilities. Yeah, but you don't want to – Kind make, of in isolation. You don't want to make a move that's going to annoy her. Right. To win. Exactly. Damn. So when we play Carcassonne, we have rules like we've got the set with the river. And the rule is that once we've established who's building on which side of the river, that's it. So we've got our own little zones. And so then it becomes how well you're able to create point mm. score points within your zone without actually going in and screwing with someone else's zone. Don't get the dragon's expansion oh. then because that's all That's about for killing other people's. Walking yeah. a dragon. And he goes, Poof. yeah, no, that would be bad. That would be very, very bad. <laughs> okay. Like I, I think now. Mm. So like a competitive game that's more about, uh, so Scrabble's good. Be, right. But although you can still block, you can still like yeah. say, I can't use that triple because I don't, can't use it, but I'm going to use something really screwy I'm, right I'm next to it so that you can't use it. I just make up words. What I think you need to do is just learn Stop. some strategy, <laughs> learn, learn how to do strategy. Um, I got a mate who loves board games and loves strategy games, and it's impossible to beat the guy. And it's both frustrating and kind of uh, insp- inspiring at the same time, because <laughs> I always want to beat him, but I can never do it. I think I've beat him once, and I won't ever let him forget it. I, I had played chess with a guy like that. Yeah, he was, he was German, it. and apparently Germans don't do anything except for play chess. It's like the national sport. Mm. Mm. But having 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 a good sense of strategy will always help you in any board game that you play because pretty much every board game involves strategy mm-hmm. of some sort, um, risk or uh, monopoly. Carcassonne. But in all seriousness, what would you recommend have for someone like Settlers of Catan? You should play Settlers of Catan if you like Carcassonne. Um, I would. You could try Dominion. It's not a board game; it's a card game. But that's sort of like strategy, and it doesn't involve too much trying to destroy the other player. It's more about your own. There was kind of an, a role-playing type game that I remember playing with my uh, groomsmen on the night before my wedding. I can't remember what it's called, but I can find out. <laughs> it's to sound real. It's game. 
No, it's I like remember much it was about like it. it's all it, it's all a bit hazy. It was kind of like a World of Warcrafty type game right. where we have all these little figures and stuff, and it was relatively like, complex, like dungeons. And, and you're dragons. trying to yeah, you're trying to like you've got to beat the other players, but you're mostly playing against the board as opposed to against each other. You, you, like there is some of that involved. Mm-hmm. Like you can kind of strategize ways of getting them into trouble. I think there's like cards that you use against them and stuff, but yeah. as a general yeah. rule, it's uh, it's mostly against the board. So maybe that's the game that you could be you'd be interested okay. in. I think I should um, just go to. There's a good game shop in Civic where they know their stuff. Mm-hmm. I could go and ask oh, for a recommendation. Good. I'll I'll text um I'll text my mate and ask him. So we have follow up feedback, F U, whatever you want to call it. F B F U. FB like doesn't Facebook? really have the same. That's what that sounded like. <laughs> it did sound like. FB <laughs> doesn't really have the same. Cachet. What? Cachet? Okay. <laughs> You're having a terrible day of pronouncing words. <laughs> what? <is> <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't even know what word you're trying to say. I'm trying to say when there are certain words, uh, if you say it, it comes, it, it conveys this, uh, sense of, sense of style and magnitude and importance. And I believe the word is cachet. I'm not going to look that up. C a c h e t. I'm looking that up now. You go look I'm up. Go, I'm going to you look up the f u, and I'm going to look up the cachet. I'm that looking comes up the f u. Cachet, a seal used especially as a mark of official approval. Oh, okay, I take that back. And as an alternative, uh, or a characteristic feature or quality conferring prestige. Well, I learnt a new word. Pronunciation. I can never read those pronunciation no, not guides. I. I was just going to show it to you. Give it a try. Oh, it's got it's got this thing. It's got this thing I can tap on. Cachet. There you go. You win, Jake. Okay. It's, I know the words. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So feedback, follow up, whatever you want to call it. Uh, this comes from Arby Beckett. There you go. That's what I'm going to. That's how I'm going to work it. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, first name is A B H I. So I'll be back at. They have a question about games programming. How can I learn OpenGL ES? I have a cool project that died because I couldn't get drawing to work fast enough in core graphics. Everything I found either assumed you knew OpenGL already before learning OpenGL ES, and even simple Hello World examples didn't work for me on iOS. So, how, what's what's a good way to you know learn OpenGL? That's a fantastic question. I um share that question because I've also attempted to learn OpenGL on iOS and failed. Um, I found a few tutorials. I could get Hello World to work. I could get a triangle and a circle and a square on the screen. Um, but in my case, I was trying to draw a diagram of some cubes, uh, rectangular prisms arranged of different colors in different arrangements and um that seemed that the OpenGL knowledge required to do that was going to take me so long to learn that i bailed and just used um core graphics 3d transform of layers and kind of faked it and that worked fine but um i would like to know how to learn OpenGL too i'm looking at you ben because i think you know uh, well, I know enough to do what you just said. I could draw layers of cubes, and that would be about the extent of my OpenGL knowledge as well. So how did you get that far in your knowledge? Where did you start? Yeah, so what I would suggest is to finish your project, is do what we were talking about last week and use a pre-made engine because it's going to take you so long to learn enough OpenGL to be able to make a proper game. I don't think it's worth it myself, but you know, some people like that stuff. We talked about that last week. But what you got to watch out for is OpenGL and OpenGL ES are different. So ES is the one for mobile devices. Right. And what are we up to? Uh, when I was looking to learn, I was trying to learn OpenGL ES 2.0. Correct. So what are we up to now? ES, I think, is up to 4.0. iPhone or iOS is up to 2.0. So that and might be why your Hello World didn't work because they're not compatible with each other at all. Right. And um, I believe Android just came out saying they're up to 3.0. Am I- yeah, Android's ahead. There you go. Um, I only know 2.0 stuff and a tiny bit of 1.0, but that's probably useless now. So 
uses a lot more shaders, which means those things are a nightmare. So that's GPU code rather than CPU code. It's very hard to debug, which is, again, I don't think it's worth all this effort. Um, but yeah, the way I learned was just Googling and I did a few tutorials. But what helps is because I use Cocos 2D a lot. It's all OpenGL ES on the back end. So when something doesn't work or something, it doesn't quite do something that I need it to do. That's where all my OpenGL knowledge came from, is sort of reading what it already does and extending it. Mm. Um, but yeah, definitely check out a game engine rather than trying to learn OpenGL because it is a monster. It is so big and so complicated. And when it fails, it just goes OpenGL error. Well, gee, that's a lot of help. Mm. Yeah. Um, Sounds like I made the right call for my purposes. Then, you because, definitely made um, the right call. It feels like if you want to get into OpenGL programming, that it's got a, it's a significant investment. And for me, that would only make sense if it was a main focus. Definitely. You know, if it was the main thing I was working on, then it's probably worth And learning. I make games for a living and I still haven't, don't think it's the right investment. I have learned game engines rather than the core. I mean, I kind of like knowing it. I get a real kick out of when I write some and it works. And that's amazing. It's <laughs> such a good feeling. Um, but I still don't have never found the time or the motivation to even learn it properly. And right, a few you- people I know who have done it, have got to the end and gone, oh, man, I should have just used a game engine. That took me one year too long. <laughs> and these days more and more, um, there are more and more high-level frameworks exposing the sorts of functionality exactly. that used to only be available in those low-level libraries, uh, particularly on, you know, um, like Dynamics on iOS 7. Yes. And the the physics engine, um, Sprite Kit. No, sorry, that's the wrong word. I meant <laughs> Jake accidentally took, Jake's accidentally he's scene accidentally kit, making yeah. references to I accidentally said Voldemort. I mean no, um, Scene Kit, which prior to dub dub I had made a prediction that I thought maybe this year would see Scene Kit come to iOS. I think a lot of people thought that. Um we haven't. We have but not. yeah, look, my understanding is that that's a, a an API that's similar to to core graphics or CA layers and things like that. Um for doing 3D on the desktop Mac. So, um, yeah, I feel like I made the right choice in not learning OpenGL, but I know a lot of people are keen to do that low-level programming. I'm kind of surprised you haven't gone there. You seem yeah. to like <laughs> starting with the first principles. I've never, I've never really needed to. Most of the apps that I do, um, the utility-type apps, and I really I don't change the look from the default very much. And when I do that, I'm using UI appearance these days. It was a lot harder back before UI appearance existed. But yeah, I haven't really dealt with core graphics a whole lot. But for if it's if it is of the scale that uh, Ben is saying, then yeah, I I would probably repeat that. Like uh, you you don't want to have to go learning a whole huge uh, library in effect just because you're wanting to do a little project. If there is something that can can help you out. Then you should always you should always use that um, as long as it does exact as as long as it fits your needs. I don't I like if I'm if I'm creating a project and I and there's already something out there that will do what I'm trying to do without you know or at least make that really easy without getting in the way too much. Mm-hmm. I won't I won't go to the extent of writing a whole thing uh, just because of because of that. I I I may I may write inane stuff, but I generally do it for a purpose as opposed to. Uh, as just, opposed to just, just because I, you know, because I get kick out of it, mm. I do get a kick out of it. But it, writing, it's, it sounds like writing in OpenGL would just frustrate me way before it, uh, way before I, you know, got mm. anywhere with it. So, and I think the question uh, was tempted to look at OpenGL because of performance issues in in his or her approach, and um, maybe. Yeah, it may be that the first thing to look at might be, are there any other ways of overcoming those performance issues? So, um, for example, in OpenGL, just to show how crazy performance is, if you're writing a shader, you generally want to avoid using ifs because ifs are slow. Like, that's the level of craziness it gets to. Right. So, like, the way I look at it is even if I'd learned OpenGL, I could never write something as fast as Cocos 2D or any other game engine that's widely used because... Just not smart enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, therefore, uh, take a listen, uh, another, another listen to last week's episode about game engines and maybe 
choose one. We did list them all on the website, so you can go there um, uh, to, to last week's episode and uh, and maybe try a game engine out as opposed to trying to write OpenGL code. There's also a really good Wikipedia list, which we should link yep. to. It's also on last week's episode. Oh, nice. And let us know how you go. Absolutely. We also have a question from Ben. Hello again, Ben. No, this is Ben Williams. This is this is the Ben that gave us asked us the question last episode. Uh, so the question that we've got from Ben this this episode is: If you were an engineer at Apple, what would you want to be working on? I would want to work on the Sprite Kit team. Okay. Because when it came out, I gave it a go, and it was like, oh, this is so exciting. And there's a few features that are missing. Oh, I'm going to do them myself when I made one. And I was like, so that's definitely what I choose. Either that or anything in the game kit overall team, maybe Game Center. Okay. I definitely want Sprite Kit more than that, though. Yeah, that's my answer. I think I'd probably work on, I'd like to be working some, somewhere to do with user interface. I enjoy, I most enjoy stuff that, uh, when I, write something i get kind of visual feedback because that's the sort of person mm. that i am um so having so working on things like ui kit might be something that would uh would give me a little bit of a kick i think i met one actually when i was over there i met a interface programmer from the iphoto ios team cool nice so i met who you want to be <laughs> sweet <laughs> all i have to do is now find them and stalk them mm. I'll give you his take details. and take <laughs> take their place. Yeah, I, I, there's probably scope for more than one. You know, they could probably have two. Really? Yeah, maybe. Okay, okay, maybe maybe I'll just befriend him and. He's a nice guy. Yeah, maybe that's a better strategy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Or we could just jump immediately to foul play. But you know, um, I I think probably similar in that um. I enjoy thinking about interfaces, but I kind of think I'd like to work on, like, I guess, um, UIKit slash AppKit, but not necessarily the visual parts of it as much as the programmatic interfaces to it. I kind of, the few times I've, okay. um, like with iView, I, um, wrote a little library to, uh, encapsulate some of its functionality that could be used in other. ABC apps, and I really enjoyed that process of um, designing the API and thinking about how other developers would consume it. And you know, I quite enjoy that side of of this industry generally. Is the the great thing about software is, um, you know, it's a process of identifying a problem or a need and thinking about creative ways to come up with something to help address that problem. Um, and yeah, whether that's a whole product. So, you know, working on a product team would be kind of fun because you then you get to think about that from the, the, the whole kind of cycle of, you know, what's, what's the need these people have? What sh- features should a product have that might meet those needs, you know, and, and building from there or whether that's, um, within a framework. I think even doing that same sort of stuff within a framework is kind of fun where you're sort of saying, how, how could you craft a, an API that makes some programming task easier? Yep. And thinking about how would people use it. and yeah. So I've heard Apple actually do have a team for that. There you go. Um, I'm not sure what exactly they do, but it's kind of like so the, the guys who work in, say, the UI kit team or even lower the navigation controller team or something will sort of write the methods they think would be useful. And then it goes to this API design team who go and sort of name them nicely and say, but like, see, we need access to this. And- for, I've, so I've logged a radar about things like naming methods. It drives me nuts that there are methods in iOS called button clicked at. Is there? Yeah, there is. There's a gazillion. There are oh, man. I have dozens of like instances there are where bunch, there are. There are a bunch of, yeah, badly named um, methods and stuff. See, and it's obviously come from. And especially, especially now with iOS 7, there's stuff like border button stuff and there's no border buttons anymore. They're all. They <laughs> admitted that in one of the talks. Yeah. yeah. They even called it the horribly misnamed UI boarded button or whatever. Oh, it, was, it, it was a terrible idea to name it that sort of stuff anyway, because yeah. uh, it would have, it, using visual uh, identifiers in a name of a method that where the visual identifier could possibly change in the future. 
Uh, but I struggle to abstract things. Like even when I'm naming stuff myself, like I think we talked previously about categories and one of the things I use categories for is picking, like coming up with colors, adding a category to UI color to return a, cat- a color that's significant for the app I'm working on. Yep. Um, and oh, yeah. I always come up, struggle to find semantic names for the color that don't relate to its visual look. Like I end up having like, you know, highlight color or low light color or, you know, but I ended up sneaking things in there like bright highlight color or dark <laughs> low light color or because I need to then differentiate. So I don't underestimate the scale of problem. And I think Apple also struggles with um the legacy, which is once you've got a method in there with a particular name, you can't just rename it because everyone's calling the old method. Absolutely. But um, I read a bit about humane interface design. You guys come across this theory? No. There are languages, uh, programming languages that adopt a more humane style than others. And that's really where they sort of say um, the philosophy of the language is about being convenient for people that are using it. Uh, and they do things like have uh, synonyms, having previously said that I know all the words. I'm hoping I that's the right synonym- word. A word that means the same thing. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, yes. Synonyms for method names. So, uh, you know, if you can never remember if you should, could do array.count or array.length. They will do both and return the same thing. Uh, and so it's all about providing a easy to use and understand interface to the language and less about worrying about the kind of other concerns of duplication and, and things like that. Um, yeah. And I quite like those theories of, uh, of thinking about how you, you make use of programmatic interfaces uh, and making sure you you know, make it as easy to use as possible. Probably, but I don't know if I personally go to the extent of having multiple things that do the same thing. Do you have an example of a language that does that? Was there one in there? Ruby? I want to say Ruby. I can't remember. I'm struggling. You could do that with Ruby. I don't know if it comes out of the box like that. Because Ruby's got um method missing, doesn't it? So you can use yeah. that. Uh, Objective-C's got a similar. You can um, intercept a message that's... You can write a method to respond when you pass a message to a class for which there's no... Really? Yeah. Did not know that. There you go. Objective-C has some crazy things. Yeah. So it, it is, you can do the same sort of dynamic runtime behavior as Ruby has with its method missing um, in Objective-C. It's just, I guess it doesn't tend to be used that way as frequently. Is that just with categories or is that something different? No, no. There's, um, it's like um, the Obj-C message send function, which is the, the, the way the Objective-C language works is it's kind of a layer on top of C. So the C function for actual, when you call a method, it calls C message send. Um, there's another function like that, which is called in the event that there's no implementation found. Or it could even just be an Objective-C one. I, I honestly can't remember. But you get an opportunity as a developer to write an implementation of a single method and have it uh, take responsibility for all instances where your class has received a message that it doesn't know what to do with. Okay, so that sounds like it's not not category based. Although no, categories, no, are it's very not similar. a category. It's either an Objective C method yeah. or a C function. Yeah, yeah, um, okay. That you can do, and they will get called in the event that a message has been received by your class. That I guess. No I guess most people from. most people just write categories when there's a mess, uh, a method missing on a on a class. No, this is more for runtime dynamism. So, for example, um, I think the way this is how Ruby does things like. Um, with Ruby on Rails, the model layer, um, you could have like a person, entity, and a some relationship to person. Anyone? Anyone? I don't know what you're trying to. Yeah. Two things that are related: a person and a pet. Okay, cool. let's say that person has pets, um, and by modeling the relationship, I can't remember the specifics how Ruby does this. Um, you're gonna get for free more semantic ways of traversing those relationships. What you're talking about is ORM. No, it's not so much the the object relational mapping. Um, it's part of Ruby on Rails kind of model layer of the ORM. Um, and it, but it's the bit that allows you to, um, for example, ah, so you've got a person entity. You'll get a get people uh, method or dynamically created for you. And I believe that that's done using method missing um in that sense that if you ask for get people 
it kind of knows that, oh, well, there's a person entity here and the plural of person is people. So I know that you want all of the people objects to be returned. Right. Um, anyway, I'm talking completely. I'm just like, this is right on the edges of my recollection and I could well have gotten all of the details completely wrong. <laughs> so. And we're right. We're way off topic. Yeah. Yeah. As so, always. But, you know, interesting. Returning to uh, Ben's question. Well, actually, uh, given that we've all kind of uh, given our answers, I guess, and some reason as to why, uh, I'm going to I'm gonna ask a kind of a follow-up question. Ooh, um, exciting. In a similar vein, if you could work in the, at a, on a specific app, mobile app or desktop app, I guess, um, from Apple, what would you choose to work on? The new exciting one they haven't announced yet. I don't know which one you're talking about. Well, no one does. Ah. That's the thing. That would be the fun bit of working on it. True. Oh, that's a good answer. No, I I quite like... um, Lately, I've been really enjoying working on apps where they're interacting with things beyond the device in interesting ways. I've been playing with Bluetooth, um, stuff like that. So maybe like the Apple TV remote app. Okay. Or the Keynote remote app. Or okay. one of those ones where... I've got my one. I would take one for the team and work on iTunes Connect Mobile. <laughs> actually, actually, I would have to say that that's my answer as well because, yeah, that app is awful. I mean, the whole iTunes Connect really is, is, is terrible. It's gotten slightly better over the years, but it's still bad. And the iTunes Connect app, wow. Wow. I'm convinced that was an intern project. Is that crazy? I probably just insulted. The no, poor guy that because made that. because they have talked about it on uh, at WWDC before, and uh, I think it was not this year's, but it was last year's where they announced a whole bunch of stuff, and there was some regular dude, or older dude, probably fifties <laughs> or sixties, up on stage. So maybe he was he's just like been past this project, and he's like, oh, do I have to do that? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Okay. There you go. It's a good, it's a good question. I once um, um, I once had a dream that I might one day work for Apple. I'm starting to gradually let go of that dream because I'm not sure that I want to so much anymore. I'm the same. I had that same dream and I'm letting it go yeah. too. I think that I'm enjoying so much the way I'm able to manage my workload and uh, have a range of interesting projects and um, – yeah, I can't imagine the um, demands that Apple would place on on a developer fitting with my my life at the moment. And I'm kind of becoming okay with that, whereas once upon a time, it was like, oh, no, that's really what I want. Yeah, okay. Oh, I mean, I'm- I'd like to work there. Um, I don't. I don't think I'd last very long. Mm. I think I would – my issue is that I hate working on stuff for other people. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I like to work on things where I have control over the the whole the whole thing, and uh, yeah, that does not sound like Apple. So what about, that's not Apple. What about all. Google with their twenty uh, percent projects and things like that? Well, maybe you could maybe I could I I would re- hang on. No, I think you need a PhD. I would be yeah. That's the problem. Well, they pay based on degree level, so most. I people- thought like PhD was the entry point. No, you don't have to have one. Right. You don't even have to have a degree. But I'd yeah, get paid you get very like little then. Some bonus, depending on degree level. I'd probably do really well in like a position where I could tell other people what, like, I, and I had control over a particular area. Right. Yeah. I'd do really well at that because that's the sort of person that I am. Um, but saying that, those guys at Apple work Sunday nights because they have Monday morning meeting. That sounds horrible. I wouldn't want to do that. Yeah. I'd. I don't think I could. I don't think I could live up to Apple's expectations. So I'll. I'll. I. I have no preconceptions that I'll ever work there. But I, I think, think. I think I, that's where I got to as well. And yeah. it's things like you know, living in America. Oh, uh, I want to. I'd like to live in America. I'd like to try. I'd like to do that for a while. Ridiculous hours. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I'd get the the hours thing, and I definitely couldn't just you know work on things that where I'm being told what to do all the time. Having said all of this, I think we're making a lot of assumptions about what it would actually be like. Yeah, it's true. Definitely. That's true. You know, um, I'd I'd love to have a chat with like 
guy that you met as well and just find out more about what the reality is like. I know a few people that do work there mm. have heard some stories. Yeah. 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 Thank you for the question. Yes. Ben. Well, thank you for the question, Ben. Thank and you thank for you your for- question, Jelly. <laughs> no worries. And thank you for uh, to our Abby? previous questioner. Our previous question, Abby. Abby. Hey, we also had some follow up. We had. Uh, I oh, think right. Okay. Last time we spoke, we were in a serious competition to see. We'd each submitted apps to the App Store, right? And we we're going to see who's got approved yes. first. So uh, the last couple episodes we've talked about, and and this is really crazy because uh, by the time. By the, the the last episode, we had everybody had submitted their apps again for approval, and the episode before that, we were talking about how we were very close to doing so. Right. Having said that, by the time the last episode aired, I my app was already <laughs> was already out <laughs> for for go. several days, and I think mine uh, was approved the day after yours was. Yes. I was the first one. You were the first. I was the winner. Because I got rejected again. <laughs> again, again. <laughs> again, again. But, whoa, wait, wait. So, the first time I got rejected, I appealed because they were like, as you probably remember, your app is too simple. All it does is display the weather. And yep. you're like, no, we, it's not. That's, we that's all that. it needs to do. It's simple. It's not too yeah. simple. But, okay. Yep. So, they replied with, how about you add some features like being able to save weather and save your favorite airports or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so, I added... Just as a trial, the exact two features they asked for resubmitted and got rejected for this time. <laughs> we found that your app only displays the weather, allows saving of airports. And that's right. It was sharing data and sharing. And I, so all I did was copy paste their last response in and said, these were your suggested features, blah. I added those. And then magically an hour later, without any more correspondence, I was magically approved. <laughs> there you go. That's nice. 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 So you can sort of appeal and it sort of works. Yeah. Well, so that was cool. I mean, and, and this is this is something that we were talking about uh, last episode because we were talking about how uh, how to deal with the rejection, like rejection on the App Store and how to deal with the review process. And it was pretty resounding um, that, we we don't suggest uh playing tricks on apple and get trying to you know trying to play the play, play the system and i think by by actually working with the system it'll actually you you'll do better because once you've got a once you've got feedback like that it's i mean how are they going to argue with that they can't i think that was exactly what happened yeah like so there's no there's no argument about it it's just like oh well we told him to do this so you know, so we'll let him through. And I think it's easy when you fall foul of the system to, you know, think that uh, you're in competition or they're out to get you or that it's a battle, uh, us versus them. But really, right. everyone wants the same goal, which is we all want to create apps that users enjoy using. Yeah. And really, I think Apple have good good motives and motivations for having their review processes. Absolutely. Um, it's just frustrating when those processes kind of you you know get in the way i think i think the frustrating part of it is the is the lack of transparency in it um we kind of we get they're getting better w- at they're that. getting better i remember at that. back when um, um there, there was no kind of rules of the road yeah and then they published is it, is it actually called the rules of the road it's I think something it is. like that yeah um or developer th- guidelines or something like that i actually think they used the phrase rules of the road. i don't know they we'll have, have used the phrase rules look of the it road. Up and see, we'll put a link in the show notes because there is this document that I found incredibly refreshing that was like um, written in really informal language that sort of said, here, here's a little bit of information about how we weigh up which yeah, apps well, to approve and which it, apps it to was basically, It's basically a list of things that you can and can't do in order if you want to get approved by Apple. Um, stuff like, you know, don't use, uh, you, you can't use. Uh, other purchase systems, like purchase systems other than uh, in-app purchase, to buy things that are going to get used in your app. But if you're going to use, if you're going to be buying things that are going to be used outside of the app, then you can't use in-app purchase. Stuff like that. It's just it's bits and pieces like that. I would say the most frustrating thing that I think is the lack, not of transparency, but of consistency. Right. So it's, it seems some people get like brought down hard on nitpicky rules and other people just breeze through like you see these scam apps that come out you're like 
How did they get through? This yeah. is ridiculous. But anyway, we've talked about this. Mm. And there are look, and there there are ways of uh, of you know gaming the system, even even as they continue to lock things down. And you know, re- fa- fairly recently, in the last few months, anyway, they uh, they turned off the ability to edit your screenshots after yeah, you've right. submitted your binary. Um, so you can only you can only edit your screenshots when you're actually uploading the app. And yeah, that like that was to stop you know apps, apps going into the store that you know they they set the screenshots to something of what the actual app does, and then they would change it right before it went to launch. And uh, yeah, a lot of scam apps worked that way. You'd have like a Minecraft ripoff that yeah, was actually that was, like a game of tic tac toe or something, like just something stupid and 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 something that you will probably wouldn't pay money for. But there's still ways of getting through that. Like it's it's still it's still possible to do it. But but don't. I think that's the that's that's our general. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really a sh- it's a short term. Like if if that's your approach is to try and cheat the system to get through, I think that can only work in the short term. Yeah, yeah. I think the long term thing is you need you need to I guess um, try and align your principles with Apple's so that you don't fall foul of i mean arbitrary changes as well you know there's no nothing to stop apple from changing its mind about which apps they want to let through and which ones they want to reject right. which category of apps um so if you've kind of managed to sneak your way through but you know that what you're putting in the store is not actually something they want to be there then i think you're much more likely to sort of risk it being pulled indeed whereas if you yeah and i think the important thing to remember in all of this is that apple's not against you there's no there's no possible scenario in which they don't want your app in the store because um well there is if it, you're not following the rules of the road but as a general rule they want apps in the store because it makes them money mm. they don't you know they don't put a massive number up on the screen to show how much they you know they pay developers and stuff every year because you know it makes them feel good you know they get they get a percentage of everything that that, that you're selling on the app store and uh and that's that's you know so they have they have an interest in you succeeding and uh but at the same time they want apps that are good for their users and so they're trying to make the system work the best way that it possibly can and you know, there's there's probably a little bit of self-serving in there with the whole in-app purchase stuff but at the end of the day like they they just want a system that works really well for their users and uh and it's as as developers on that on that product on that system, I think uh, I think it kind of behooves us to you know all the words too. <laughs> I do it, it it to work with them and try to try to make that that uh, ecosystem the best that it can be. Yeah, uh, and I was wrong. It's not called the rules of the road. It is called the App Store Review Guidelines. Yeah, we'll link to it. It's in the they did refer board. to it as rules of the road at one stage. I think it stuck. I liked that saying, and I like the informality of it all. Um, that it's clear, it is kind of, I guess, yeah, making it a little bit clearer as what's going on. Um, I agree that there's inconsistencies in how it's applied, and it is frustrating. Um, happily, this time around, my app was not rejected at all. It was approved first go. Congrats. Uh, Excellent. Which was exciting, although uh, I had to submit an update immediately because of a mistake I made. Anyway, That's okay. I'm pretty sure every. In- I'm pr- pretty sure every app requires a, a you know a minor release uh, fairly soon after the initial release because there's always at least one problem. So uh, tell us about Android, Ben. Yeah. So I did an Android contract recently with almost no Android experience, and it was pretty good. It's really not that bad. Everyone makes you scared of it. And it's like, oh, Android development is the worst. This is actually a bit topical because um, Shifty Jelly published on their blog recently uh, a a direct challenge to another well-known blogger, John Gruber, who had been posting that, um, that he'd heard stories that development on Android is more difficult than iOS and that takes bigger teams and longer to do the same thing. Um, I think he had heard about a BBC project um and I didn't get to read the details, but I'm guessing it might be iPlayer, where the iOS version was done with a small team and the Android version is now being done with a larger team. Um, and Gruber's uh, conclusion from this disparity in team sizes is that iOS development is so much easier. Um, and Shifty Jelly were 
very much arguing against that, saying there's, you know, some things are easier on iOS, some things are harder, some things are easier on Android, some things are harder, um, that good developers can be productive on either platform. I agree. It's really not that bad. It's definitely there's some things that are way easier on iOS, for instance, view animation. So there's no Android sort of fakes it. Um, so it'll move views nicely in an animated way. But what it's really doing is just drawing them differently. So they're actually still sitting where they were, and that's where you touched them, which was super strange. So like, imagine you moved a view off screen. It's still there. It's just being drawn at an offset. And so its touch is still where it was before it moved. So if you had like buttons in that view, yes. it would be they were, the buttons are rendered off screen, but the buttons are actually still there so you could tap them. Yeah. And I was like, what? That is weird. That is super weird. But on the yeah. other hand, there are things that are easier. So um, instead of view controllers, you have these things called, they call them activities. Um, and every sort of what we would call a view controller is actually running as a separate process. And it makes it really easy to switch into other apps in between. So you want to play a video in your nice video player app. It's really easy to like call that. It'll pass the video to that. The video plays nicely and it'll jump back to your app. That's so hard on iOS. It's next to impossible. You can use those X callback URLs, but yeah, you have to use. The... What's the user experience of that like? Does it seem nice. obvious to the user that they've left one app and nope. gone to another? It's just seamless. That it is seamless. Gone it's from really an activity nice. within one app to an activity within the other app, back to the original activity. Yeah, that is nice. It is nice. I really like that. Some other good things on Android is that they force you to do things the right way. So almost everything in design is extracted from code. Um, so, for instance, you've probably heard all your interfaces are in XML, and it, most developers go, oh, yeah, I'm so scared in, of that. I think it's well known, my love of storyboards. I can't imagine how I could be as productive in XML as I am in quickly getting stuff working in storyboards. True, storyboards are still faster for getting an app off the ground. But on the other hand, being able to change design things, you, you don't have to, you still have to download the new XML, but it's not a rebuild, so it's a lot faster when you change some XML. Um, all your graphics are extracted. They sort of are on iOS as well. But it's just, it seems weird at first, but you get really quick at seeing how to lay something out. And because, like everyone always says, there's so many screen sizes on Android you have to worry about. And when you do it in XML, you quickly switch your way of thinking um, and you stop writing, let's put this at 100, 100. It's more like, let's put this 10% in. Right, yeah. Things like that. Uh, and so that that's actually really nice. Um, and then... It's really cool seeing it when you put it on, say, a big screen. It's just resizes nicely without having to worry about all that auto layout stuff, which mm. still drives me nuts. It just actually kind of worked, which was really exciting. So, as someone, I'm interested in doing some Android stuff uh, at some point. Um, and my background's, you know, obviously iOS. What is the learning curve like? Like you said, um, there's an you know, an analogy between a view controller and an activity on Android. How mm -hmm. are there other mappings or the main sort of, you know, is there that separation of UI kit and foundation? Is there? Um, yes, there definitely is. Yep. So Android runs, well, it's built in Java. Yeah. Um, so you can use all the normal Java things you'd come to expect. And how much uh, does the, that community of Java developers and open source libraries impact on developing an Android app? Like on iOS, we've got things like um, AF networking and a bunch of networking libraries that have kind of grown up with the platform and work quite nicely together. Um, I used to do a bit of server-side Java development, and there's a heap of open-source Java libraries. But um, does it feel natural to use them within an Android app, or are there new kind of open-source libraries that, um, for you know, things like networking, that uh, fit more nicely with the sort of Android? Yeah. So. That's what I was. So there is Java, and you can actually build as long as it doesn't use some sort of front end stuff. So if it's back end, yeah, you can use whatever open source thing you want. It might not be optimized for a mobile, but you know you got to work that out. Um, but Google also provides Android libraries as well, which have a lot of really useful, not just stuff to do with drawing stuff on the screen, but common tasks that you do as a mobile developer, like parsing XML or things like that that aren't in say just native Java. Mm -hmm. One really good one, which I liked. So if anyone on the iOS world has ever used NS coding, which is a great and easy, just to serialize small classes. Basically what you do is you have a coder, an encoder and a decoder. Um, and you will go for all your properties. You, when it's 
being saved to disk, you go encoder, encode object, whatever the property is, self.date. Um, on Android, you don't even have to do that. It uses like inspection or whatever it's called. So you just can import this class into your bundle and it will automatically serialize just basic model classes that are just lists of properties. They're not nice. properties in Java, but same thing. Um, without all of that list of all my properties, that seems super repetitive. Yeah. Actually, there's something similar for Objective-C. There is. It's an open source one, right? It's from GitHub. There's a, a GitHub, I think it is, a GitHub library, like the people that do the GitHub Mac apps and whatnot have released an open source library for um, doing a simple model layer within like your domain objects in your iOS development. Um, and it has things like built-in support for NS coding. Um, yeah. Cause other sort of things you end up having to write yourself. You could definitely do it in Objective-C. It's got yeah. all the runtime inspection yeah. you need for it. But Java does seem to make, like it's a kind of culture of the language to make heavier use of reflection mm. to sort of um, figure out stuff about about the class and do stuff with it. That sounds cool. Um, so what I what I generally found is back-end stuff is actually easier in Java, but the interface in Android is still far more annoying than it is on iOS because you're missing things like core animation, which is so easy to make something that looks super pretty and moves nicely and eases nicely and all of that. Um, so on Android, because animation is design, animation is in XML as well which seems kind of strange. And you can do it in code, but they recommend you do it with XML and in percentage rather than to a position. Uh, you also have to worry about... So on iOS, basically everything's in points and that just works because, mm. you know, it's 201. Mm. On Android, you've got heaps of different screen sizes. So all the sort of methods take pixels and you've got to... Right. There's a method you can use to convert points to pixels but i kind of found that annoying it should probably at least from what i'm used to just work in points yeah rather than you having to constantly worry about converting to pixels but so you check the device and it's just another method so called, it sounds but. it sounds like uh user interface development on android is actually more like uh web user interface development than an, yes, than, than ios mm-hmm. yeah and i don't think android's alone there my understanding is um dot net uh desktop dot net as well uses uh, XML-based user interfaces. Yeah, it does. Um, There's two ways to do it. I don't remember. Windows and presentation. And to be fair, yeah, to be fair, fair, storyboards are XML-based. They it's, are. It's just that the way that you create those storyboards is, through a, is visual through a visual editor. Well, and there's visual editors to. for WPF as well. For, mm-hmm. in, yeah. And there's visual editors for Android. Yeah. yeah. So, so I used IntelliJ and I thought it was pretty good. So, so. I, think, I think that it's not something that's terribly different. It's just that the way that the 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 only real way that you edit storyboards. Nobody edits sto- edits storyboards in plain X- XML. Don't do it. It's just not. It's just not <laughs> worth it. And when you and when you come to uh, trying to uh, merge changes in GitHub, it's a it's a nightmare. Yeah, yeah it is. Um. So Android but- just misses the. So, I mean, on iOS, if you are doing using your storyboard for your UI, then you could largely have not much UI code in your view controls at all. Um, but you still can do a bit. And in fact, there are some things that you can't, like setting the content size of a scroll view, you can't do in the storyboard still, I think. So yep. even if you're doing, like, if you wanted to fully adopt storyboards and just leave your view controllers with, with no, UI code in them at all. You'd still need to do set a few of the properties of your UI. Um, in you Android, do because my still pet hate is that you cannot dismiss a view controller in storyboards. So you can do this whole app that will load things up, yeah. and then you'll present a view modally. Yeah, you can't dismiss the modal controller. <laughs> so I think it's important to ask you, Ben, because yeah. we did an episode. Uh, I think episode two, we talked about storyboards, mm-hmm. and Jake loves them. I still love them. And Love. at the time, I hadn't really done anything major with them. And since then, I have done... I, I did multiplex using storyboards. Haven't we revisited this already? And yes. You, you still don't like them? Well, at, at the last time that we revisited them, I still ha- I had no... I, I, I still hadn't really made up my mind, and now I have, because I don't like them. <laughs> uh, 
and so I've I, I went to the trouble of completely removing storyboards from Multiplex oh, because yeah. it was a pain to try and keep everything in line. What is your general feeling about storyboards, Ben? I like storyboards. You like storyboards? <laughs> Sorry. Two against one. There you go. Um, oh, I feel like I'm not alone. That's nice. I still love them. I'm I in love. Generally, when I start a new project, jump straight to the storyboard, chuck a few things in there. By the end of the project, the storyboard is looking pretty blank. It basically is just used for transitions between controllers yeah. and things. Um, but I still kind of like it the way I can logically... I've got a blog post in the working about this app that I worked on that's now live um, and talking about how I've used container view controllers and how I've used yeah, um, how segues and delegation as a way of managing the flow of control around the app and passing things to different things. Bits, a bit like we talked about in a previous episode. Um, and I like storyboards for the way they could let you see that visually. So I've got this I kind agree. of diagram of, okay, these are the bits that make up my app. And, yeah. See, um, my problem, I think my pro- major problem was that in order to get things done, I was having to write really hacky stuff that felt really hacky by uh, by kind of intercepting uh, segues and pulling out variables and stuff from that. And it was uh, just not, not. So there's a couple of sort of key points at which you get an opportunity to have code interact with the segues and storyboards yeah. and view controllers that are in your storyboards. And I agree, it does feel a bit hacky. But I think that... Um, I've ended up feeling really comfortable about using those few ways. So they're kind of um, prepare for segue. That's the main one. Is the yeah. main one. Yeah. And you end up having this kind of convoluted logic in your prepare for segue, which looks at which segue it is that you're preparing for and then um, gets a reference to the view controller you're about to present in order to pass to that view controller the stuff it's going to need. Um and even in container view controllers, it's the same. You've got to prepare for the embed segue uh, in order to then get a reference to the view controller that is embedded within the... Um, and it just feels like it feels a bit weird that that's the... I'd kind of feel much more comfortable with it if there was an explicit um, connection made in Interface Builder, like dragging an outlet or an action. If you yeah, could actually sure. drag and say, you know... I want a reference to the view controller that's contained within this container view controller. Uh, but instead, you've got to like prepare for the embed segue. Well, in your prepare for segue implementation, you've got to differentiate to see which one is the embed segue as opposed to one of the others. Recognize that it is. Get the destination view controller of that segue, cast it to the type that you know that it must be because that's the one that you embedded, and then store your reference to it. So it, feel, yeah, it does yeah. feel a little hacky. It feels very hacky. The one part I don't like in this kind of hacky as well, and it happens with table view cells as well, is that you have to basically just either copy-paste, which, you know, you never really want to do as a developer. If you're copy-pasting, you're probably doing something wrong. Yeah, um, I'm, you ba- I'm about to, I'm getting ready to tell you that you're doing something wrong. Yeah. What? So, the you know, your segue identifier. Right, yes. You have to get right in your storyboard and then in your code. Yeah. And I always get them from memory, and I don't know why, I always reverse them when I go into code so it'll be yeah. present contact form and, and I, then on the other one I'll go contact form present so Just- looping back around to our discussion of Android I understand this is something that Android gets right that iOS uses string literals throughout for things like images um, yes and segues and cell identifiers and there are ways you can create like a static string somewhere that you then refer to the variable that's right so using. almost everything in Android in all your images, all your strings, everything, um, all your keys for your objects, they are all actual variables rather than string literals. Strings, that literals, scattered yeah. And throughout it's awesome. Your code. It's, that bit's really good. So iOS, you can kind of, if you've got discipline yourself and you're motivated too, you can kind of not use any string literals in your code. Yeah, you can. But you still have to use them in storyboards. Exactly. So and you still have to copy and paste like. somewhere, which mm-hmm. is, yeah. Whereas uh, Android, do, do they identifiers that you're using in your XML. Yes, they carry across to your code automatically. Yeah. How good is that? that yeah. That's one of the best parts. Um, one tip, if you're going from iOS to Android, the best thing to do is go equivalent of NS user defaults on Android. Someone has asked it for every class there ever existed on iOS, what is the equivalent on Android? Well, and there generally yeah, is one. That made it so easy. Yeah, I guess the the... Inverse is probably true as well. People moving. Yeah, from probably. IOS. Um, so if you. So I've been a little bit hesitant to get into Android because I feel like um, 
it's a full-time job to stay on top of all of the things I need to know about iOS. Um, and I worry that if I then start to dedicate some of my time to learning Android and keeping up with it, that um, I will, by necessity, not be able to keep up with iOS as well. Are you, do you think that's the case, having done this and spent some time? Do you feel yeah, like... Yeah, that's true. So you generally have two types of programmers, generalists and experts. Um, experts generally specialize in one thing. Generalists try and do a whole lot. I'm always being the generalist guy. So I have a pretty... Actually, I have quite a good understanding of iOS now. Yeah, but when exactly. I first started... <laughs> I was, you, like, yeah. When I first started, I just thought I would learn enough about it to be able to do it. Yeah. And then suddenly all my work was iOS, so I just got good at it. Good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll never be an expert at Android, like as deep as I am at iOS, I don't right. think. Unless you were to kind of suddenly away from iOS. Yeah, it, suddenly all my work became I Android. I think that's a fair, fair statement to make for everybody, really, because not, I, I don't think there is an iOS programmer out there who doesn't do other, some other language. Right. Um, quite a few of them are probably very similar to me at doing, who do web stuff as well as iOS. Mm. Um, and I wouldn't say that I'm, I, I'm definitely not specialized in either of them because I do, I, I do both, yeah. uh, quite significantly, but I, yeah, I think, I, I think my, my knowledge kind of shifts as I go from doing web stuff to doing iOS stuff and backwards. So, and back. Um, and I think it leads to a great sort of cross pollinization yeah. in the sense that, um, you know, it was, I think you mentioned that you'd used mustache on, Yes, I, I use I use mustache on uh, in in multiplex. Yeah, so and that's a a kind of templating a library that's come yeah. from a web background. Yeah, okay. and the, you know, mentioning things about like I'm uh, making up features in Ruby that may or may not exist, <laughs> <laughs> and trying to understand how that applies to Objective C, and same with .NET and Java, and I guess. Each- but there there are there is stuff that comes from from various languages. I know that there's there's heaps of uh, ORM libraries out there that that started life as uh, because of things like Ruby, mm. because Ruby's ORM you know built-in ORM systems are so good. Uh, so many libraries exist now to try and replicate that uh, with things like Cordata and PHP and all sorts of all all the different languages because uh, every, you know everybody's got their own yeah way of working and so uh, and and so you know you, you, people like to port it across and and do things with it. And so I struggle with balancing personally in terms of how much to expose myself to different technologies in order to learn interesting new techniques that I could then apply in. The other technologies I use, and how, and when I feel like I'm spreading myself too thin across too many. So mm. I still don't know how far I'll get into Android. Um, I'm certainly going to need to have some involvement because these days, um, you know, whilst everyone's got their favourite platform for developing for, um, there's a huge group of of people who want to create mobile apps where they want the largest pool of users to be able to use them. You know, uh, government is a good example of that. They've got to provide services to everyone. Um, not everyone has the same platform device. Uh, so, you know, being able to cater to the kind of largest platforms out there, I think is a necessity. And uh, I, I think it, I think it also comes down to, uh, making sure that you, I mean, for, for your, in your particular instance where you're doing a lot of client work, which is, uh, very significantly focused on government. We're in Canberra. That's, that's, yeah, that's basically all there is here. Lots, yeah. Uh, I think. I mean, I think the same applies to big enterprises as well. In the sense yeah, but, that if your if your mobile app is um, a companion to the service that you offer, so if yep. you know a bank, yep. for example, you offer a banking service, and these days, if you offer a banking service, you need to offer a mobile way of doing right. that. You can't just say, "Oh, our banking service is only available to customers who have this brand phone." You've got to, unless they're going to give you that phone, which I which don't think would, banks are going to do that. <laughs> right. So I mean, it's kind of you know, there's a similar. Um, I guess there's, there's, if, if your business is focused on a mobile software experience, yep. then you could have the luxury of saying, I want that experience to be on this platform. Yeah. But if your business is around anything beyond just a mobile experience, if it's about services that, you know, banking, telecommunication, transport, whatever. E-tax. <laughs> E-tax, <laughs> right. Yep. You um, know, and, and you're using mobile as a, a way of, Kind of, um, you know, helping your customers interact with you or whatever. And then I think you do need to look at 
Yeah, I, I think I think it comes down to resources and uh, and whether or not it's actually going to make make a difference. Um, in the case of in the case of progressions, I make enough of progressions every every couple of months to uh, you know pad my bank account a little bit. I don't think I could, you know, I, I I definitely couldn't live off of the money that I make from 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 it. Um, um, it's it's not as popular as some of the some of the I mobile apps that are out there. It's actually exceedingly rare to find developers who are able to live off the proceeds from the sale of their yeah. apps. It, I made twenty five bucks from mine so far. Thinking of retiring. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think I think when it comes down to it. It's a matter of whether or not you think the time and effort that you're going to put into a learning another another platform and then also spending the time developing it, whether or not that would be would be worthwhile. To be perfectly honest, the amount the amount of money that I've made on progressions for iOS is not worth the time that I've actually put into it. I've put way more time into it than I've actually been paid for. Um and I would be surprised if uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there are uh, you know other indie developers out there who have apps in the store who are having who have the same sort of story i think there was a stat once that the average game has earned 200 dollars over its life yeah which just means that there's i mean obviously that number's got a few games making an enormous amount and a lot of games making very little and then you know somewhere in the middle for most people um so I think I think it comes down to if you if you're thinking about doing an Android an Android version of your app, uh, first of all consider how much that's going to cost you. And I mean it depends because the amount of money that you that you basically don't make, uh, the opportune opportunity, opportunity cost, cost. Uh, may be outweighed by the fact that you're very eager to learn a new system. Yeah. So and that I'm, sort of that sort of balances into it. Yeah, I'm keen to learn Android just because I'm, in, I'm interested in it. Like I feel like I've focused so much on mobile development, and it's a major platform, and my knowledge is only superficial. And I want to, right? You know, I'd like to know more about how Android approaches things. Whereas and, I never want to learn Java ever. Java's not that. Bad. I've, well, I've I've worked with develop like Java developers, but the whole I, I have, I, I feel like my my. Uh, if I learn too many languages, my brain isn't going to be able to keep up with all of them. Mm. Um, because, you know, I do, I do PHP and JavaScript and, 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 uh, and Objective C and all that. This is all, where all humane interfaces are really handy when you're trying to move between languages and they have different methods for the length or count or size yes. and array. Yes. You're because just, like constantly going, which language am I in? What's yeah, it called? So PHP, PHP, you call a function. Uh, to get a length of a string, you don't call a method on the string. You call a, a function called strlen. It's like C. And then JavaScript, you have length for anything. So if it's an array, it's length. Right. And if it's a string, it's length. Yeah. Anything that you, it's and it's a, it's a, I can't even it's remember. a property. What's Java's array? It would be, it would be the size count. Right? Yeah, something I think similar. Size. I think it's size. Objective okay. count. Yeah, yeah. Like, Objective C is count. I like count. And then the length of a string is is different. You don't call count; you call something else. Mm. Objective C. But yeah, I, I think it's it's confusing going back and forwards between yeah. all those things. Yeah. I, I I I have very little uh, very little patience for did learning you, another. Language. Did you find yourself doing that a fair bit in? When you're running your Java yeah, code, just going like starting to type the Objective C nah, definitely version, and just going what dot the- le nah dot co nah ah oh, there it is size <laughs> <laughs> and then two, minute, two minutes later you got to do it again yeah, yeah. It's like- the other one is oh, I always get this and self around the wrong way when I switch right. back and forth and the other one which got me every single time is Objective C for a string is at speech mark yeah Java is speech mark at ah uh, what only for XML thingies, but anyway, yeah, okay. it's still reversed. Yeah, and I'd constantly go back to Objective C and miss the at or yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. I think, and I, I, I definitely think that if you're going to be learning a new language, make sure that you have some time away from other languages in order to learn it, because you'll never ever get it through your head if if you're going back and forth all the time. You just need a good IDE that has awesome autocomplete. Mm. Doesn't require guessing. <laughs> so much. what we need, what we need is an order is is a, an IDE. That does the natural 
interface business for you. Oh, right. so it compiles yes. it to it, what you well, were well, thinking. Well, no. So what when you type when you start typing in a in a something uh, that's wrong, something that's wrong, <laughs> it, it gives you the, the correct right answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, so yeah. it'll. Yeah, yeah I like this idea. It'll help languages. Be Somebody make this humane. happen. Yeah. So yeah. that way you could have any language and it would just it would know what you're trying to type and help you help you type it. But I think that's about time. I think that's about it. In fact, I think we've probably gone over, but that's okay. So, um, apologies for, for those of you who don't enjoy our dulcet tones. Um, thank you for sticking with us this or long. If you're and an why the hell reader. are you listening to us <laughs> yeah. in the first place? <laughs> Sorry, we've gone so long. It's not that long. Um, if you guys want to read any stuff that we may have mentioned, I'm trying to think if we have mentioned anything. I mentioned a blog post I'm composing in my mind. Well, if, if it, I if, ever get around to publishing by, it, if that's out by the time this episode is is released, it will be in the show notes. And I think we might I might throw a link to last episode in the show notes and a few few other things. Uh, so there will be show notes, and you can jump on there, and that's at mobilecouch.co forward slash fourteen. Uh, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can do that. Uh, we have a contact page which sends us an email. That's mobilecouch.co forward slash contact. Uh, we'd love it if you would jump on iTunes and give us a rating. Our, you guys are so amazing. All our ratings are, are, are like, they, they make me feel good on the inside. Just here, kind of around pointing at my heart area. I was going to say, we're on radio. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, it, it, you know, it, it saves me from having a bad day sometimes. So, you know, it, we'd love it if you, if you jump on iTunes and leave us a review, hopefully good ones. Otherwise, if you have problems with us, you should email us. That's what we that's what we suggest. Um, if you'd like to talk talk to any of us individually, if you want to ask uh, Ben any questions about game development, life, motivation, I don't know anything, you can contact him on Twitter or app.net at Ben Trengrove. B E N T R E N G R O V E. Jake, on the other hand, is on app.net and Twitter as well. Under J McMullen, J M A C M U L L I N. And I'm on Twitter as Jelly Bean Soup and app.net as Jelly because I don't have any bean soup. (laughs) 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 I don't don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. (laughs) Just cracked it. (laughs) And, And with that, we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.